0: Hello, you are listening to the Plumfield Moms, and this is Plumfield in Person.
1: Hi, I'm Diane Pendergraft here with Sarah Masarik, and we have Sarah Kim and Tanya Arnold with us today. They're the Biblioguides ladies, but we're just here, unofficially, to have fun.
0: (laughs) That's the real reason. We made up a reason to just have That's this monthly right. chat. Is that it? Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's really been so much fun getting to know Sarah and Tanya as well as we have over the last nine months. We're recording this episode in kind of towards the end of March, and we have almost 20,000 downloads on this podcast in the last nine months. That's pretty staggering. And mm-hmm. the mass majority of those downloads are episodes that they are in. So that just tells you such an important part of this podcast that they have become. And that's because they've become really important to us personally as well. So we're so glad to have them here. And while we're recording this, it's the very end of BiblioGuides' birthday month. Yay! Happy birthday, BiblioGuides! Oh, thank you. Yay. Thank you. <laughs> Girls, it's really exciting that your beautiful community and database is officially a year old. How does that feel? Awesome. Fast. Same way it does when you have a child, I suppose. (laughs) Where did a year go? Is your baby sleeping through the night yet? (laughs) No.
2: (laughs) And funnily enough, neither of our babies are. I think Yuna, Sarah's youngest, is such an integral part
0: of who we are. And she's not sleeping through the night either. Well, we love Yuna. And Yuna makes an appearance in every podcast that Sarah joins us for. And... We love it. We we love having her here. And mamas, we want you to know that we remember very, very clearly what it's like to be in the trenches of the early, early little kid days. And what's kind of cool here is that and so Sarah has a 13 year old and an almost two year old. Tanya's got babies who are almost getting married and in elementary school. Mm-hmm. I have kids who are in middle and high school. And Diane is a grandma who has grandchildren. And Diane, how old are your grandkids?
1: The oldest is 15 and the youngest is two.
0: So quite an age range of little people of varying ages and stages in our lives. And I love that that kind of bears out in what we're reading and how we're reading, because we're reading for our kids too, right? We're, we're reading for the people in our lives. So Diane, last time we had this conversation, you were in your state capitol. And you did not have books with you.
1: <laughs> no. Today, it's lovely to see all your books. Yes, I love being surrounded by books. Thank goodness Cheyenne does have a really big library. Yes. And it was only about four blocks from where we were staying. So that saved me.
0: Yes. Well, friends, this is the second episode in a series that we are doing called Your Reading Life. No. <laughs> That's a soap opera. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. the days of our reading lives no Um, (laughs) so friends this is the second episode in a series that we are doing monthly called our reading life and it is just a very informal friendly chat between four mamas who are reading for all the different things in our lives and so there's no plan There's no script. There's no preset questions. It's just an opportunity to chat about what we're reading, make connections, and uh, share that with you and invite you into that. And a reminder, as we do in every podcast, we would love to chat with you as well. So this conversation is really life-giving for us, and we hope that it's enjoyable and life-giving for you. But it would be so much better if you would join us and chat with us. And you can find us in the Biblioguides online community, which is a mighty network. And the link to that's in the show notes. It's totally free. We'd love to have you come in and chat with us there. So last month, Tanya was halfway through a book. <laughs> Bjorn the Proud. Right,
2: Tanya? Yes. So I'm going to get to that, and I'm going to share with you about that. But I first wanted to just share an idea that I was having this month. Wait, you're having an idea? Yes. Okay. An idea. (laughs) Okay, this time it's not an idea.
0: (laughs) This time it's a thought. It's a (laughs) (laughs) ponderance. When Tanya says, I have an idea, it's an actionable thing. (laughs) You're saying, this is a contemplative thing. (laughs) Yes, yes, that's true. Good point. Yes, I was
2: pondering. So I've had a very difficult month. And I think the details of that aren't what's relevant. And I was sharing with Sarah Kim that it's actually been a difficult Mm. quarter. And so I was looking forward to, you know, in my communication with God, that we should close this quarter out (laughs) and we should start afresh. And this next quarter should not be quite like this quarter if he felt like that was within the plan. And Sarah laughed and said, I agree, Tanya. (laughs) That sounds great for you. And I was just – I was considering life and the seasons that women Mm -hmm. find themselves in. Whether you're – like I have a daughter that's about to be married. You're newly married and you're starting that next stage of the journey in life or you know, whatever age your children are at. I find myself at a stage where I have Mm -hmm. aging parents. I have children getting married. I have an Mm -hmm. elementary child. I have a number of things on my plate. That feels like – having my one foot in two different places at the same time. It's a strange balance. And then like Diane is in a a completely different stage and which my parents tell me who are in the later years. um, And Diane is still quite young. So no, I'm not saying that (laughs) she's the age of my parents, (laughs) Diane, but, but you have like grandchildren, possibly Mm -hmm. aging parents and still a whole lot of things that are important to you to do. So I was just thinking about how we find ourselves in these seasons. And a lot of times we get into a rhythm of life and life just goes on, right? You just day in, day out, it's the same thing. There's no big disruptions. And then sometimes all of a sudden life happens. There's some sort of thing that comes along and that can be a good thing. It can be a marriage of a child, but it's a transitionary thing that changes the rhythm of life. Or it can be something that's traumatic or difficult or heart-wrenching, or it can be a combination of those things. And yet we still yearn to make sure that those rhythms even if some of them have to drop to the wayside because of this disruption, we still want to have those rhythms happening. And I love how reading can still be a rhythm, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. it can be a grounding thing. But sometimes even it has to shift for the space. Like this month, I have not felt like I've had the brain space. It's like my brain is working, but it's overwhelmed. And so things are just, I can't even like articulate words, like I know there's a word that means a certain thing. I can't think of what the word is. I've started using the word kerfluffle for everything. <laughs> I, I just don't know kerfluffle. And it, someone just fill in the blank. You know what that word is supposed yeah. to be, whether it's your name or, or the, the item I want you to, to hand or me. Clean the bathroom. <laughs> yes,
0: <exactly. laughs>
2: and this kind of ties into like my idea, like I'm a mm-hmm. slow reader too and methodical, but I loved the grounding that it created when you mm-hmm. have good friends and passion projects or things that nurture you that can help you create that rhythm when you're going through a really difficult time yeah. or maintain that rhythm when you're mm-hmm. in a really difficult time. So I've this month, I just thought I can't even focus on reading. I don't know, maybe oh, you guys yeah. have been there where the words like you just keep reading them and you just they're don't know what in. you're reading,
0: mm-hmm.
2: they're not getting in, but because we were reading mm-hmm. for the podcast, and um, this Friday is Keeper of the Bees airs, and that was such mm-hmm. a fortuitous book for me to mm-hmm. read in this season. And so that was really life-giving this month. And then I knew that Sarah had said, make sure you come ready to talk about Bjorn the Proud. So I had to finish the book, you guys. <laughs> and, and it's a children's book, so it's not difficult. But it was about on par with the ability that I had. And I did finish it this oh, yay. morning. And it's so great, you guys. It's by Madeline yay. Polland. She wrote a lot of books in the American Background series, which is in the Clarion series, which were both Catholic series. The books aren't
0: Catholic. I just want to clarify that. Isn't that one of the beautiful things that we're finding with Bethlehem books, that their books may have mm-hmm. been authored by Catholic authors or the books may have originally appeared in Catholic series, but they're not expressly Catholic. Like the Hedge School is expressly Catholic, Sun Slower, Sun Faster, expressly Catholic. But 90 percent of their books are just excellent stories that just have Excellent values in them. So they were being marketed to families of a particular religious persuasion who would not find them jarring or offensive. That's really what the label there is all about.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely right. So I think this was the second book she wrote, Bjorn the Proud, and it's set during the Viking era. And this one was reprinted by Bethlehem Books, but I also know yes. that Hillside Education is reprinting a lot of her books. So I've been really yeah. wanting to delve into her, right? And now you guys. We're gonna want to go hardcore. Okay, into I'm, Polland, I'm good with that because I'm just
0: looking here, and Tanya, she is Madeline Angela Polland, a prolific Irish children's author. Done. <laughs> Sign me up.
2: Yes, this story was just so fun and interesting. So first, it's fun because it's historical fiction, so you get a great sense of the time period, and you get basically there's this. I think I shared this last time, but there's a Viking raid mm-hmm. into Ireland. They kill a lot of people, take one girl captive. And it's a 12-year-old boy has basically taken this 12-year-old girl Mm -hmm. as his slave. And then it's Mm -hmm. their story. And it does end up being a conversion story. And um, it's a gentle conversion story. But it does show her faith and her belief systems and his belief systems in the gods Mm -hmm. of the Vikings Mm -hmm. and what he believed. And you also see some of the tragic Mm -hmm. things that they do. There's at one point where they're doing sacrifices and she's horrified when she finds out that some of them are even human. She's always telling him the stories of her faith and he listens, but he kind of thinks it's silly. He thinks it's a weak God. You have a weak God Mm -hmm. who's humble. You have a weak God who would sacrifice Mm -hmm. his son. And then towards the end, he faces a really great challenge and things come together in a really beautiful way and it ends up being a conversion story. And not in a trite way, not in a, you know, not like contrived. This is not an adult story, so right. it's simple. Yeah. But elegant, yeah. I think. So, yeah. I loved it. I thought it was so good. And I want to see and it was only her second book and I thought the writing was really well done. So I'm excited to see as she grew as an author, how much more meaty they got.
0: But anyway, really fun. <laughs> I highly recommend it. I think we're going to have to do more with her. <laughs> well, I will read her and we will review her and maybe maybe yeah, maybe, maybe there are some things that we can do. <laughs>
1: I wanted to add something to what Tanya was saying about seasons and and reading when you can hardly read. And I was down in in the Capitol with hardly any books, and it was a very stressful time for an introvert to be Mm -hmm. surrounded by people all the time. And my husband said it was like living in a fishbowl, and I'm not good at that. No. (laughs) So we had talked a little bit about doing something with Elizabeth Googe and I had not read very many of hers. Ah, yeah. The one that I had was Genshin Hill. And I just, there's something about that that I just love. I just fall into the story and had that on my Kindle. And I just thought, darn it, that's, I'm going to read that again. And it was just so, it was so comforting because I knew just, I already knew the story. I already knew I loved it. It's so beautiful. Mm. It comes out lovely. And I think there's just, we need to give ourselves permission sometimes to just fall into a book like that and have absolutely no purpose for it other than that. And just say, it's okay if you do that. I didn't learn anything. I didn't write a report. I did nothing except that's what I went to sleep with for several nights in a row. And it was just really, really calming.
0: You know, we have that list that one of the very first book lists we created on our website was called Books for Bedrest. And it's not just for people who are on bed rest. But it's it's those books that are for when you're in those seasons, like the season that you're in right now, Tanya, the season you were in, Diane, seasons when you're struggling, you know, with a, a grief or struggling with a health challenge or you have so many pressures on you and you just need something at night that's a good warm hug, quality literature, So we don't want something that's trivial or trite. Quality literature with excellent values, with excellent writing that doesn't tax you, but just nurtures you. And Mm -hmm. we have to make sure that you, we add that one to our list, Diane. So when you get that one reviewed, let's get that to our list. You know what's funny is I have a very, very sweet, thoughtful, and generous listener of our podcast sent me some boxes of books the other day. She really believes in what we're doing, and she believes in the lending library I'm building. She said, these are going to be all excellent books, and everything was a surprise. And when I opened them, and she didn't know that we want to do something with Elizabeth Gooch, but there was Green Dolphin Street in there. And then I went to the thrift store that, like, two days later, and there was an identical copy of Green Dolphin Street, like, calling to me. <laughs> I thought, okay, I hear you, Holy Spirit. I hear you. I'm going to need to get to that one soon. <laughs> so it's funny that you bring up Elizabeth Gooch as well, Diane. I've only ever read one of her children's books. I haven't read her adult
2: books yet. Diane, have you read more than that particular one? Have you read The Little White Horse?
1: Yes, but I didn't like it. <laughs> <gasps> I love that one. <laughs> hey, somebody brought that up the other day and I was quiet. I didn't say anything, but you did just ask me. So.
3: I loved it. I think, Sarah, did you love it too? I loved it so much. And I also read uh, Lynette's and Valerian's, her other, one of her other children's books, and loved that one too.
0: I have not read any of them. None. And, and it was a weird oh. thing because Elizabeth Gooch would come up in Potato Peel Pie like monthly. Always, Elizabeth Gooch, Elizabeth Gooch. And I think I got a little defiant about it. Like, well, if everybody loves it, I don't need to do <laughs> <What>? it too. <laughs> like, I'm just not going to do the thing. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I just, I kind of knew though, there's just something about the aura around her that I just knew I was probably going to love her. And when we were interviewing Margie McAllister, she was scandalized that I had never read any Elizabeth Gooch because she kept saying, you would love her, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> Diane, do you remember? Did Margie say that Elizabeth is like her go to comfort books?
1: I yes, I believe so. I was just gonna see if I can remember which one she said was the best.
0: Dean's watch. because I, I went and clarified with her. She said City of the Bells is
1: really good and Dean's watch, but Dean's was Watch Dean's is watch. her favorite. Yeah. yeah. Or her was her favorite at that moment. I did get that one a while back and that was another one that I had to just say, I can't do that right now. I have too
0: much to do. <laughs> Stop tempting me. And yes. I, really- <laughs> I
3: also just wanted to say we have a book list on BiblioGuides as well called Comfort Books for Adults that you could oh, link oh, in the good. show notes. I think- Lovely. Yeah, those kinds of books for sure. It's always Pride and Prejudice for me whenever I'm going through a time like that. Even when I was actually by myself in London I just listened to the audiobook. I listened to it like when I was on the tube traveling around. <laughs> like, that was me too,
0: Sarah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> For me, it's always 84 Charing Crossroad because it's short, it's two cups of tea and it just and then and then it always goes, I get done. I'm like, oh, I really need to watch it again. <laughs> then I watch the movie <laughs> and, then, and then something always just feels a little bit better about the world. <laughs> I feel that way
2: about 84 Turing Crossroad 2 and Potato Peel Pie. Yes, yes. Because I think if you're doing the Audible, oh, yeah. And maybe it's just because I've listened to them so many times, you can also just start it anywhere. You can just, you can just forward <laughs> and be like, start here, which I think you could do with Absolutely. Pride and Prejudice too. You could just start anywhere and feel like, <laughs> I'm back home. I'm with friends. It's warm you know and what cozy. We do is
0: create a Fun list where you know if if these if this is your comfort book and you just don't want to do like the whole Pride and Prejudice, just hit play at this minute marker, and it could be you know Mr. Collins' proposal Ooh. or something like that. <laughs> so you just walk into it going, "Oh yes, here we go." <laughs> mm-hmm. Sarah, what are you reading this month?
3: Yeah. So um, before I talk about that, I did want to just mention something I learned about the book I brought up last time, Jesse Benton, Fremont. The author of that book was actually, I don't know how I missed this because we have it all detailed on BiblioGuides, but the author of that book was Marguerite Higgins. And she's actually the main character in Nathan Hale's Hazardous Tales, The Cold War Correspondent. So I think I mentioned that she was a yes. war correspondent. So she's actually the main character. I, I mentioned to Quanu that I was reading this book. Or actually, I think he saw it on the table and said, wait a minute, that author sounds familiar. <laughs> and he's <laughs> the one that mentioned it to me. <laughs> but yeah, he's read all the Nathan Hale books and, and loves them. So I thought that was a really fun connection.
0: So I want to talk about Nathan Hale for a second. So we never had them until recently. And for years, Jack wanted them because he always knew that people who liked the books he liked, like everything that Quanu likes, Jack likes. And so Jack thought for sure he would love them. And we got them and he said, I don't like these. Now, I don't know (laughs) why he doesn't like them. I I haven't read them yet. Um, I'm just curious, Sarah, have you read them?
3: I've read one, the complete book, and then others I've just read pieces from them. And I think Tanya has also read the first one.
0: And so what do you girls think of them? Do you enjoy them? Should I read them?
3: Yeah. So I think they're definitely not like my typical style of book because they're graphic novels and they are very casual in the language, Mm -hmm. but they're also really well-researched and very Mm -hmm. interesting. So I think reading mm-hmm. them is pretty quick and mm-hmm. you just learn a lot of interesting things that you didn't necessarily know before so I think it's not like a typical story like I said that probably most of our listeners are used to listening to unless they're avid graphic novel readers but I think for certain kids who right, really right. maybe are not as interested in history like Quanu was never loved history mm-hmm. but he loved the Nathan Hale books and it really liked help him just like grab onto a lot of interesting information in a fun format so i think as far as graphic novels go like these are some of the better ones i think they definitely have some violence and some other things the back of each one says like the kinds of content that's included but they're very accurate
0: sure sure and i should clarify jack loves asterisks so he loves asterisks he loves calvin and Hobbes. uh there's something else he reads too at Side. So he, he, it's not as though he's a, adverse to graphic novels or violence because there's plenty of violence and asterisks. <laughs> um, but maybe he was expecting them to be funny. It might be that his graphic novel experience made him think. I think they're really funny. Maybe it's not his kind of humor. I don't know. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. <laughs> well, now I'm
2: curious. What about you, Tanya? I love them mm-hmm. for what they are. I think they can grab kids and Sure. Light a fire sure. under them for history. I think because it's chunky, right? So that graphic novel format is like a chunk, a chunk, a chunk, a chunk. So it's not so many words and that it's kind of like just a like a warm up, like a training right. for reading almost. Right. So I think when you're looking at that eight to twelve year old stage and they also like humor, and it is a boy <laughs> humor it really is. And then, like Sarah says, it's well researched. So I read the first one. Our recommendation is you right. read the first one because it's the story of Nathan Hale. And basically, he's telling his story to the executioner and he's staving off being executed. And at the end... <laughs> this is like a 1001 Arabian Nights. So it is. Uh. It's exactly that. So then he's not he's not oh. killed at the end of the book. And then he goes on to basically be the quote unquote narrator for the rest of the stories and he keeps staving off oh, the execution. Wow. So it's clever that way. You have to set mm-hmm. that first, right? And then you can read them really in any order that you want. But when I was reading the first one, I read to my husband a lot, or he listens as I'm reading. <laughs> Is there a distinction? <laughs> I know, right? Well, either he's, he, okay, he works from home, so he's always around. <laughs> like he pops up all over the place when I don't realize that he's around. And sometimes I'm just like, sit for three minutes, I'm going to read you this line. <laughs> so I was reading the first one, and multiple times I said, that did not happen. I have never read that anywhere else. And then I paused the book, go to Google, I'm researching it, and I and I said, "Oh, oh I guess it did, huh? <laughs> I did not know that." My son loves them, and he tends to really like more fictional things, and he also loves. We have all yeah. the asterisks also, yeah. and he loves Calvin and Hobbes. So, but he did really like these. And then I was really interested in the Donner mm-hmm. Party,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, because I, you know, I'm also interested in the yeah. the Mormon truck. and there were there were some similar storylines where uh, Mormons came through some very similar type situations, but did not resort to cannibalism. Right. right? So there's like some interplay in, in the history a little bit. And I wanted to know how he would handle that because hello, that's like pretty severe. Right. So like Sarah said, in the end of the book, he always kind of tells you like, here's the content you're going to find here in this book. But in, in this particular one, in the Donner Party one, he basically stops and says, at this page, we are now going to discuss some stuff. Oh. And so if you're not ready for murder and mayhem and mm. whatever, then you need to skip to page 86 <laughs> or whatever and start from there. So if you just want to just skip the section of where like the cannibalism and the murder and whatnot happens, then you can just skip that wow. and continue the rest of the story. And it's still really well told. He's choosing interesting stories from sure. history to highlight that are part of sure. a prominent story. I think mamas should look at them for their boys.
0: Yeah, I think they're good. Yeah. So, Sarah, other than Nathan Hale, what are you reading this month?
3: Yeah, so I didn't read a lot this month, but I did read Rocket Genius by Charles Spain Beryl, oh. been reprinted by The Good and the Beautiful. It's not very long.
0: Yes. Um,
3: only 60-something pages, and um, but I think I might have Kwanu read this next year about Dr. Robert Goddard, Mm -hmm. the first person to set off a rocket and and his ideas about how rockets might be able to get to space, which was really ahead of his time. And reading about his childhood was just fantastic because he was just one of those kids who did all kinds of crazy things. (laughs) You're like, parents don't let their kids do that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) All kinds of experiments in the house and... <laughs> um, you know, kind of running free in the in the yards and and around town, and you know clearly like very, very passionate like that this he was gifted i mean he was really, really passionate mm-hmm. and would pursue his passions and figure out ways to make them happen and it was so it was a lot of fun I really liked it
0: we have that book on our shelves I'm very excited to get to it, and when you know my my oldest who's not a big like a big lover of reading. I mean, he reads cereal boxes, he reads everything, but it has to be nonfiction if it's going to like draw him in. And he saw that one. Ooh, and he's 15. And he was just like, yeah, I got to go take that. Yeah, I think he would <laughs> like it. The other one I haven't
3: finished. I'm reading this aloud to Kwanu in the evenings. We're just reading a chapter at a time, and the chapters are super short, like a page and a half. Is Carry a Big Stick, The Uncommon Heroism of Theodore Roosevelt by George Grant. Yeah. I believe this is an Ambleside Online book as well. Mm. And I really didn't know that much about Theodore Roosevelt. I knew like some of the stuff with the national parks. Again, I always blame my Canadian upbringing. I really don't know that much American history unless like I've already gone through it with Kwanu.
0: What can I blame? Because I'm an American. And...
3: <laughs> um,
0: yeah, Sarah, what's the rest of us going to have for an excuse? Then?
1: <laughs> I love this book.
3: The writing is really eloquent. Maybe some people would think it's a little bit over the top, like he, this author uses a lot of really big words, um, but I find Yay. it really fun to read out loud, and he is an amazing person. I'm just kind of enthralled uh-huh. by his life story and his upbringing um, and everything that happened to him, so I'm really enjoying this one.
0: We're all grinning. Because we just recorded a week ago a conversation with three of the library ladies about their favorite American landmark books. Jeanette brought Teddy Roosevelt and the Rough Riders, and all of us were just gripped (laughs) by her storytelling. Now, that episode's not going to air for a little while, um, but now we're all very curious. (laughs) I remember her saying he's like her favorite. (laughs) Yes, yes, he is. (laughs) So, Diane, what about you? What are you
1: reading this month? I may talk too much this time. Wow. Yay. That has never happened. (laughs) I don't remember what we were talking about the other day, but my husband said, I remember the first book I read by myself. And I think he meant chapter book, but he couldn't quite remember the name of it. So I quick looked on Amazon and I said, was it this one? Who Walks the Attic by Laura Bannon. And he said, yeah. And I said, well, would it be worth $7 to you to see it again? So we, I ordered it. It just came a couple of days ago. So he sat down on the couch at lunchtime and just and read it right then. And so then I read it after he went back to work. And it was just it was just fun because it's very it's a mystery and it gets there's there's a build up to there's going to be this big mystery and then in the end it's like and it's it's just funny oh <laughs> flying squirrels. <laughs> <laughs> no hobos were trying to break in no thieves were stealing anything it's it was just uh the neighbor kid and his flying squirrels that he didn't get to take (laughs) out of the house before he moved so you probably should i don't know you don't put that in there because that's not very well explained but it was just fun because here's this it's it's probably this was published in 1962 it's a ratty old paperback that i taped up because i wanted didn't want it to go to pieces but um it was just like like this little nostalgia thing. Oh my gosh, the first book he remembers reading by himself. <laughs> <laughs> Diane,
2: I think it looks super cute. I'm just mm-hmm. looking it up. I'm going to add it to BiblioGuides because I think it's so fun to find a fun mystery that's not yes. super scary mm-hmm. for young kids, right? I think it's such a great genre for like the first, mm-hmm. second, third grade age where they just want something that's just like a little like, ooh, what's going to happen, but not You know, not that... not We're not Nancy Drew Hardy Boys yet. You know what I mean? Listen to how cute this sounds because here's the dust jacket description from the original 1962 edition. Hollis woke in the dark and raised himself on one elbow. There it was again. Plop, plop, plop. Right over his head. Something was in the attic. Should Hollis call his sister who heads the family until their parents come? Or should Hall take matters in his own hands and solve the mystery? In the next few days... Unusual happenings come thick and fast. Hall and his brother Mike find themselves with more clues than they know how to interpret. At last, Hall resolves to stand guard. The outcome is terrifying, but (laughs) funny
0: too.
1: (laughs) I want to read it. This is right up my alley. (laughs) When when my husband got that reading it, I said, was it a good book? And he said, no. (laughs) Well, okay. It's not if you're 60. (laughs) <laughs> that wasn't the point <laughs> but if you're yeah, set and you're just now and you just read a chapter book I mean it's like <laughs> you have to be a competent reader but it is a chapter book and then but there's there's a little bit of oh what's gonna happen but nothing oh really God. scary does happen there's no right. violence right the kids mm-hmm. are not disrespectful um it was just sweet and I got done and just thought that was really good my <laughs> <laughs> One of my my reluctance to review it and make much fuss about it is that I don't know how accessible it is. Mm. Like this paperback, seriously, probably was a 1962 paperback. Mm-hmm. And when I went and on Amazon, there were maybe seven of them available. And I, I don't know if there are any more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't want to make a big fuss about it. And they say, you should run out and get this really cute story. <laughs>
3: the author sounded familiar. We have another, we have a picture book by her called Red Mittens on BiblioGuides.
1: Well, I looked her yeah. up and then you did have a couple of books, but this wasn't one of them. And I thought that might be wise that you really can't get hold of it.
0: I think we just had not come across it yet. I don't want to jump in on what you're reading this month, but I do want to say that because you said an addict, it it's not a hobo, it's not somebody breaking in, and it's a gentle mystery for young readers. And I'm reading The Happy Hollisters this month, and the, yeah. first, the first Happy Hollisters has a mystery in the attic, and it's perfect for that same age group. I just, I'm chuckling because now I'm feeling like I have to read your book, too, and compare these two books, but The Happy Hollisters is just so perfect for that age group. It's so wholesome. And the family, the siblings all love each other and also have a lot of freedom. You know, there's a lot of old-fashioned freedom and old-fashioned values and old-fashioned living in those books. And um, it has that mystery in the attic. And I remember as a young reader that one of the things that developed my stamina was a mystery. Because There was a cliffhanger at the end of every chapter, and so you had to keep reading. And it was not uncommon for me to read one or two Nancy Drew books in a day um, or binge read on the Happy Hollisters or the Hardy Boys. And so I just really think it's neat when we can find those kinds of chapter books for those younger readers. And the beautiful thing about the Happy Hollisters is that they are all, every one of them, in print because the author's family has reprinted all of them, and they're beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Also, what's interesting, and we'll talk more about this in the future, is that the Happy Hollisters were all written by one person. Even though they are stories from the Stratmeyer Syndicate, they all have just one author, Andrew Sevenson. And so I just wanted to be able to plug those today because I think that there's a lot of mamas out there who would just be so happy to know that there's 30 some wholesome, wonderful mysteries That will encourage family life and encourage sibling friendship while their reader is developing stamina. I know, Diane, I know you're not a fan of series.
1: (laughs) That's that's a little bit different. I mean, I think like with the Happy Hollister, something different happens every time. It's um, not a continuing thing where they're dragging out one story to the nth degree.
0: It's like a procedural TV show, right? It's going to have a certain arc. Every book is going to have the same format, the same arc, and that predictability is what is so good for a young reader because they don't have to bend their brain on that. They can focus on the language, and the language of the Happy Hollisters is actually quite sophisticated for the age group it's pitched at, which is really nice. Mm -hmm. We as adults like that, too. (laughs) (laughs) We do, don't we?
2: I loved my Law and Order and I liked that there wasn't a lot of drama with the actual characters, but a complete story with a new yes. mystery, a new procedure, and
0: then the next solve week. a new one. Solve a new crime.
1: Solve a new one. Something <laughs> new happens. The <laughs> predictability of the characters, you know who's gonna do what, who's gonna say what, mm-hmm. and it's okay because it because it's like they're your friends now.
0: Yes. <laughs> yes.
2: And it's true to life. People yes, are right. predictable. Your family is predictable. Your life can be somewhat Mm -hmm. predictable, right? Yes.
0: But routines are good. Yes. 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 Like we were talking about at the beginning. Yes. Yes. It's comforting.
2: comforting.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It all came full
1: circle. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) One other thing that we talk about a lot of times, well, I, I do anyway, is that a lot of times in kids' books, in order to make something happen, they take the parents away. Yes. Because you can't have bad things happening to kids if they have an intact family. Mm-hmm. So the Happy Hollisters are really good because Mom and Dad are always there and very active in the story. Yes, they don't sneak around behind their backs and then finally tell them what's going on. Yeah. Right,
0: like the kids are stretched
1: to do a bit, a good bit on their own.
0: They are, mm-hmm. you know, they're they're very capable and competent. But when it comes right down to it, when somebody needs to call the police, it's Mom or Dad, and Mom and Dad yeah. meet the police, not just the kids. It's it's right. good that way.
1: Yeah. So in this one I thought oh here we go again the parents are gone but they had left for a few days because they were moving into a new house they had to go back to town to finish work or whatever and left the younger kids with a college age sister. So mm-hmm. it's not like you got a 14 year old in charge here. Um they do try to they don't tell her right away what's going on because Hollis he wants a mystery so badly that they think he's just exaggerating everything. Um <laughs> But they're only really alone for like three days. Mm-hmm. So they have the parents are out of the way, so some things can happen, but they didn't leave them there. Right, and right, right. One's dead or they're ignoring them or something like that. So that was kind <laughs> of nice.
2: <laughs> Yay. <laughs> so that actually reminds me, you know, speaking of parents being in a story or not being in a story, I just started reading The Tune Is in the Tree by Maud Hart oh. Lovelace to Ava. Oh, you guys. <laughs> Okay, it's so good. Mm-hmm. It is so good. And this is one where my husband was in the room and listening and he kept cracking <laughs> up and Ava was just sat enthralled through the first chapter but the little girl. So there's these birds and the birds oh. are the narrators. So there's Mr. Robin. And so Mr. Robin is the surveyor of everything and he knows the family that lives in the cottage and he knows the little girl and he he flies by and he sees her just despondent and crying and where where are the people? So he goes down and he sits right next to her and he says, something to the effect of like, is everything okay? And all of a sudden she's like, you can talk? (laughs) And then she's like, well, no, everything's not okay. So something happened. I don't really quite understand it yet. The birds say that the dad can fly. So he must fly an airplane or something? I don't know. So the birds are aware of the father being a flyer. So the dad has been gone and hasn't come back. So the mom has decided to go to town to find the dad. And she sent a message to the neighbor to come stay with the little girl well, she goes to find the dad. Well, the mom has been got been gone and the neighbor never came, and she doesn't know why. But the birds know because these other birds oh. follow that neighbor and she sprained oh. her ankle. So Mr. Robin says to Mrs. Robin, Well, the little girl's been left all alone because the dad has gone missing. And of course they're like, Well, he must have had bad weather. And so that's put him down. And the mom is gone. And the neighbors, you know, we know from the wren that the neighbor has sprained her ankle. So we have to take care of this little girl. And so now they're trying to devise this plan to take care of this little girl. So now you have this little girl who's going to have this adventure where there's no parents around. But the birds are aware. All of the birds are aware of all the situation. And it is just delightful and magical in the way that she tells the story. And basically what happens is that the hummingbird... Um, has Mm. some magic and so the Mr. Robin decides he he really doesn't feel that him and his wife can go nest inside the house it just doesn't really make sense so the best solution is that she becomes smaller and comes to the nest
0: oh like twig in the forest yeah it's like twig (laughs) I
2: know it was like oh oh. this is so so cute cute. so it's, it's really really cute so oh, i'll let you know month? next month I'm gonna, I'm gonna do
0: that cliffhangers every month <laughs> um for our listeners sake if if Maud Hart lovelace if that name is ringing a bell but you're not exactly sure who that is the author of the beloved betsy tacy books and if you grew up reading the betsy tacy books it's quite possible you didn't know that there are five more than the little girl books. So many of us grew up knowing about the, the Betsy Tacy Treasury, which are the first four books, you know, Betsy Tacy, Betsy Tacy and Tib, Betsy and Tacy go up the big hill, Betsy and tacy go downtown. But there are high school, no, there's six books, there's six books. There are four high school books and two post high school books for Betsy and Tacy and all of their chums. And they are marvelous. And we have those reviewed on our website. And of course, they are in BiblioGuides. So head over to our website for the show notes or head over to BiblioGuides to check those out because Maude Hart Lovelace, she's one of the best.
2: The Tune is in the Tree is in print mm. from a small publisher, and you can purchase that from their website. And I'm pretty sure it's going to be absolutely worth going and supporting this small publisher because this is a delightful, I love delightful
0: that. story. So, friends, we do love small publishers, and anybody who thinks that reprinting Maud Hart Lovelace as being worthwhile, that's a publisher I I can get behind. (laughs) So, so Diane, what else are you reading other than this delightful first book of your husband's?
1: (laughs) Well, I am reading Silas Marner. We just started it Mm. in my class last week, and... I picked that one because I already know that I love it. Mm. It was, I'm not sure how I started it with my kids when we were still homeschooling and read it and was just going, this is really good. I don't think Mm. I'd ever read any George Eliot before. And then I read it again recently and still liked it and decided to do it for my class. And so we just started it, but I then searched my entire house and couldn't find my book.
0: Oh, so I had to no. order
1: one. Oh, no. so I, I know. I had to buy another one, but it is so pretty.
0: Oh, where is it from? Is that Seawolf Press?
1: Seawolf, yes. Yes. Another small publisher worth buying from. <laughs> yes, because I don't think I've had any of those before, but um, it has that... all kinds of pictures in it, and it just feels nice. It's beautiful, and it's it's pretty big. Yeah, that's who I got my Elcott from because I wanted –
0: I want unabridged matching spines mm-hmm. and you can't get eight cousins and, Rose and bloom in matching spines. It's just like, it's so hard to do. And if you want to get little women, little men and Joe's boys in matching spines, other than the illustrated junior library, it's almost always abridged. And so Seawolf has these, they're just gorgeous. I'll post a picture on our website. It's just gorgeous. Cause it's also mm-hmm. got, um, uh what are the other it also had i also have jack and jill and i think i have under the lilacs and an old-fashioned girl so i'm a big fan that's the, like you said the, the picture book is oversized or that that paper bag is oversized it's got a mm-hmm. velvety touch cover and the paper mm-hmm. is really thick and toothsome
1: yes and it just has it's t- tons of illustrations this book just arrived on my porch before we started you know like about lunchtime today so i haven't had a lot of time to look at it but it's lovely. <laughs> I just I think that Silas Marner for George Eliot can be so heavy Mm -hmm. like Mm Middlemarch yes I love Adam Bede too but this one here's a George Eliot for teens Mm. so that's my advertisement for that
0: (laughs) the only George Eliot I've ever read is Middlemarch and I didn't like it so I never read more but so you're recommending Silas Marner because I always see it on the list but I kind of avoided it because I was avoiding her and friends, George Eliot is a one. <laughs> and it actually it
1: actually ends happy. Oh, nice, nice. I don't spend much time reading current books; mm-hmm. just doesn't seem like I'm there. I'm almost always disappointed. But I don't know if it came up in my history book club, a monthly thing that comes up on my email, or what it was. But I actually have two books on my desk that were published in 2022. Wow. I know. I'm shocked. In seven years of knowing you, well, eight years of
0: knowing (laughs) you, I don't think that's ever happened before. (laughs) At least not on
1: purpose. (laughs) Right. Well, the first one is called The Watchmaker's Daughter, and it's by Larry Loftus. And he has written some other, like, true World War II intrigue stories. And I guess by doing a lot of research on some other real people who were spies in world war ii um his publisher or someone said hey you should check this out and he ended up doing a biography a biography of, of cory Tenboom. oh and so it looked interesting when i thought well if this is just a rehash of the hiding place and her other stuff then it's not going to be very interesting but he's done a really good job i'm not done with it but he uses the hiding place for reference. He uses her other books that she wrote, like about her father. She wrote several and he kind of is putting them all together, but he's also bringing in pieces of Anne Frank's book. Mm. Like on this day, this happened because they're, they were in Holland. Right. And Anne also comments on that in her book on this oh, day. Wow. And also some quotes from Audrey Hepburn because she was also Dutch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, it is actually interesting, and it's really pretty compelling after you get going because mm. you know what's going to happen. Right. Right. So you you know the danger. Some you may be familiar with who lives and who dies. Right. But he he's really writing it pretty well, a lot better than I expected. Wow! Well, bravo! And it's on Audible. Ooh, Maybe we can do that. what? I think his other ones look really interesting too. Very mm. interesting. So, what's the other one on your desk? The last one, I'm going to lead up to it a little bit. A lot of times I talk about how one of the reasons Jean Stratton Porter is so fascinating to me is because I, I really am interested in that the time period that her lifespan is. Mm-hmm. She's born right around the Civil War, which is, there's not a lot of technology then. Every Life is sort of going on like it always has for hundreds of years or longer. And then she crosses over into the 20th century. Mm-hmm. But then she dies before she's into the mid-20th century and has kind of um, acclimated into that. Yeah. So a lot of her writing, she's commenting on the 20s. If you read her um, magazine articles, you know, she's commenting on the culture. and uh, But she doesn't get into the, like, World War II or anything like that. So while I was doing a lot of study on that, I was trying to find some books that would talk about the giant leap in medicine that happened oh, then.
0: yeah.
1: And the best thing I could find 20 years ago was John Barry's great influenza because that's what the book is about is the Spanish flu mm-hmm. and the doctors who were frantically trying to figure out what to do right. while millions of people died. Right. So that was the impetus for a lot of the um, medical advances that were made at the beginning of the century. Yeah. So you go from, like some doctors are still going, what are you talking about germs? Nobody can see those. They can't be real. They're not real. Not many years later, these these amazing advances. So that's been one of my um, favorite books about that subject for a long time. But then this other one came along. It's called The Great War and the Birth of Modern Medicine by Thomas Helling, who is a doctor. And I haven't finished this one either because I'm just kind of taking these and reading pieces of them because I have other things I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> you don't have any book clubs you're in or anything though. Uh, no, no. <laughs> so he takes it in chapters of with different subjects of things that he that's that are being developed, but the first one is about the development of field hospitals. How do we get to the guys before it's too late to do anything for them? Right. Because they're seeing a totally different kind of wound where they used to just kind of like leave the guys on the battlefield because what are they going to do with them? Right. And they have a completely different new technology tearing people apart that mm-hmm. they didn't, had never seen before. Right. So that, then they talk about like the next chapters on shock and
0: mm-hmm.
1: learning how to do blood transfusions, not just doing them, but doing them, you know, in a field hospital. How do right. you do that? right. And what's really causing shock and uh, gas gangrene, the development of x rays, neurosurgery, plastic surgery, some kind of splint that I hadn't gotten to, shell shock. And then, of course, it ends with the Spanish flu, too, because that's kind of how the war ended. I find that fascinating and I'm really enjoying that. Two books from last year.
0: <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, I have hadn't. Been- in the opposite place as as you girls. I have been reading kind of voraciously. I hadn't been for a while, to be completely honest. The fall was pretty rough for me in terms of reading. But since we started going on a couple of different ideas in the projects that we all are collaborating on, I have just had the great joy of plowing through a bunch of books and so I, in the last episode, I mentioned that I was reading through a lot of Bethlehem Books books right now, and I have I really enjoyed The Red Keep. I think that uh, fans of John Flanagan and the Rangers Apprentice series might really like The Red Keep. I think it's the story that Horace deserves, and so Flanagan people will understand. Once they read, they'll understand why I say that. I feel like this is a really noble night, uh, boy night and he's a lot like Horace in in important ways, and I love that one. I'm also, like I said, reading some Happy Hollisters, and I've been reading some other books. I've been doing a lot of reviewing, and I continue to read for my Tuesday night book club where we are reading The Brothers Karamazov, and we're getting there. I'm excited because after Easter, we will finish that and begin Kristen Lavenstrader, which is an absolute top 10 favorite of mine. It's a Just an, I mean, it's a Nobel Prize winning piece of
1: literature for a reason. I was just going to ask you how you're doing, Kristen. How long are you going to take? Are you doing all three? Yeah. So we're doing
0: it the same way we did Dante. So, which means that we're going to take a slow reading. But in between books, we're going to do a different book to change it up and then go back to the next one. So for those who don't know, Kristen Lavenstrader is actually a trilogy in one. It's, it's, you can buy it as three individual spines or as one spine. It's three books in one. It is just so powerful. It is one of the most powerful stories of redemption I've ever seen portrayed in literature. It um, begins very difficultly. Uh, Kristen makes some pretty catastrophic errors and is near death and uh, in a very delicate position. Something very important is happening. She's near death, and she is repenting of her sin. And it is sin. It is just outright sin. And she is offered forgiveness, but the forgiveness is the kind that actually really heals. So she is forgiven, but she needs to atone. And the atonement works itself out in books two and three, and she has to live with the consequences of her sin. And uh, how that is worked out is that it results in her ultimate sanctification. But it's a long, arduous, but beautiful story as to how that happens. I do not recommend it for teenagers. I have seen it on lists for teenagers, and I don't quibble with anyone who says that. But from my own reading, I don't even recommend it to unmarried women. There is um, quite a bit of content in there that I would have been scandalized by as an unmarried woman, and I might have brought some strange ideas into my marriage if I had read it as an unmarried woman. But as a married woman, I, I can understand those sections of the story and keep them in their appropriate context and understand why they're also there like they they're, they're not unnecessary um, and take from that the lessons that the book offers which are pretty powerful and many so so I'm gear I mean getting excited to finish up Brothers K so that we can get to Kristen cuz I do love Kristen but the thing I'm reading right now which is not Kristen is Girl Sleuth which is (laughs) uh, I am absolutely enjoying it and I'm listening to it. I have both the the hardback and I have the audible and the audible is read by the author and it is the story of the Nancy Drew writers and other female writers who wrote for the Stratmeyer syndicate. And it's helping me to understand the history of the Stratmeyer syndicate. And I know that Tanya has read it before. She's the one who recommended it and she's going to reread it with me and Diane is going to be reading it as well and so mine doesn't come till next week. I know I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so stay tuned friends because we we have more to say and do with the Stratmeyer Syndicate and with Nancy Drew and with Happy Hollisters and Hardy Boys, etc. But Girl Sleuth is fun. It is a fun read. I do not necessarily agree with everything the author is saying. She's coming from a point of view that's decidedly feminist. Um, And I I appreciate that in her. And I appreciate that she's probably telling a very accurate story as to the female authors who wrote Nancy Drew. So I'm not saying wholesale. I think that this is the greatest thing ever written, but I do think it's really a lot of fun. It's very much um, feeding my curiosity and it's entertaining the way that the story is told. And yes. it's fascinating, right? It's the history of it that is really
2: fascinating yes. to totally. wrap your brain around. Her totally. research was great. And like, I did not yeah.
0: know that one of the authors of Nancy Drew was Stratmeier's daughter. Like, I just didn't know that. And so you just begin to have a, a more of an appreciation for what this whole process was about. So that's what I'm excited about right now, friends. <laughs>
1: so, you know, Nobel Prize winning to Nancy Drew. <laughs> Well, I think maybe Nancy Drew should have gotten a Nobel Prize just for how many <laughs> girls read and loved her yes, and didn't yes. even care who was writing them. Right, right. I mean, she was so formative for decades. Yes. <laughs> And we have
0: so many things we can talk about. I think that we're going to do, um, you heard it here first, friends. There's a lot more that we're going to be doing with the Stratmeyer Syndicate, God willing, because we think that there's a lot of story there to tell, a lot of story behind the story to tell. And like Diane said, Nancy Drew was formative. And it's interesting because in a way that Hardy Boys was not for boys. There were so many offerings for boys. Hardy Boys are are beloved as well. But Nancy Drew is absolutely iconic. And uh, Girls Everywhere loved her no matter no matter where they came from and where they went in life. Girls Everywhere loved Nancy Drew
1: for good reason. Right. And I don't think we we were having a conversation with some other people the other day. And I'm just not going to apologize for the fact that they were just fun, you know. You could devour them, but there. I think there was some benefit in that for me at the age that I was reading them. Right. I wouldn't still want to be doing that.
0: <laughs> We've graduated from Nancy Drew, yeah. But we have. We have. <laughs> I graduated from eighth grade. I, I don't regret having gone to eighth grade. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, I feel like we're not proponents of. It's. As long as your yeah, child is exactly. reading, then that's no. great. It doesn't matter what they read. We're not proponents mm-hmm. of that at all, right? And so the question that we hear from moms a lot is: I have this voracious reader. Should I let them read Nazi Drew? Should I let them read Hardy Boys? Which ones of these can they read? I don't even know what's in them. Or I read them when I was young and I liked them, but what I feel differently when I have my mom right. eyes on, right? Right? When I'm looking through this this new lens, and so that's the question we want to right. bring to the table. And we want to share our experiences. We want to share what we what's in the books, right. the history of it. We want to unpack
0: it, right? Yeah. This is like a whole bin full of little wrapped packages inside. And we've got to pull them all up. There are so many different authors, so many different series, so many different... Uh, rewrites. There's so much to understand. This is going to be a long project for us, but we want to bring you along. We didn't want to wait till we were all done to tell you we're doing it. We wanted to tell you that we're working on this and bring you along on the journey with us because Nancy Drew is good now. And we're answering questions for ourselves. Like, do I need to buy the first printings? Can I, can I buy the, the yellow spines? Like what to buy? We're going to work with all of that because we're figuring it out for ourselves. And I have a lending library and I have patrons who are coming in and they need and want books like this and I need to know the answers. So come along with us as we find the answers to all the questions and tell us your questions. Join us in the BiblioGuides online community. I know I sound like a record. I know I sound like it's a commercial, but it's not. It's an it's a legitimate invitation. What do you want to know about Nancy Drew, Hardy Boys, Happy Hollisters, Jerry Ames, who's not part of the Stratmeyer Syndicate? Can I just talk about that fun fact? Friends, such an interesting thing. Cherry Ames was a similar series to Nancy Drew, but it was for nursing. And she was written specifically by two different authors, written specifically to encourage young girls to go into nursing so that they could be war nurses. This was part of the war effort. And these stories are so lovely. They're written in a kind of a different style, different kind of language, but they're really interesting. And They're being reprinted, but they're not being reprinted by a company that publishes literature. They're being reprinted by a nursing supply textbook company, which I thought was hilarious. So I went to Springer Publishing and I'm like, am I in the right place? This is nursing textbooks. How do I get Cherry Ames? And I typed in Cherry Ames and sure enough, a whole bunch of them are being reprinted by them. Unabridged? I can't say that they have not been edited, but I can tell you that they have, they have exactly the same number of pages, exactly the same number of chapters as their first editions.
1: That's funny. I never heard of them. I didn't until 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, very fun, ladies. Thank you for coming, Tanya and Sarah.
0: Friends, as you can tell, this is ongoing, and it is just a real joy for us to be able to talk with each other about books. Of course, we are doing serious damage to each other's to-read pile probably doing the same thing for you as well. Now I have a whole bunch of other books I didn't know I needed to read. So thank you, friends, for that. (laughs) As always, the show notes will have links to everything. As always, we invite you to join us in the Biblioguides online community. Let us know what you're reading. We want to hear what you're reading, what you're recommending, want to know what you like, want to know what you think of Jerry Ames or Nancy Drew. Happy Hollister's. Come and join us. Have a chat with us. Thank you for listening. And next month, we'll find out how all of the books we're reading turned out. Until next time, friends.